Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Media Podcast is a PPM production and not affiliated with The Guardian in any way. We've just thrown some more very unique rewards onto our Kickstarter page. Uh, If you haven't already pledged or would like to swap the reward you've chosen to one of these new ones, you can. Just go to themediapodcast.com, hit pledge, and you can manage it all from there. And now, the show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, the trial of the century draws to a close with former News of the World editor Andy Coulson found guilty of conspiracy to hack phones whilst Rebecca Brooks is cleared of all charges. As the verdicts permeate Fleet Street, Roy Greenslade joins us to discuss the fallout, plus Rising Star has a full start in the US and Tony Hall's diversity plans leave Lenny Henry unimpressed. That's all to come on today's Media Podcast from themediapodcast.com. Well, with me in Soho today are Matt Deegan, creative director of radio consultancy Folder Media, and also someone who uh, just happens to co-organise a certain radio festival, but not that one. Uh, Hello, Matt. Uh, Hello. It's been a busy week this week. We've just announced for Next Radio um, another six speakers. Uh, We sort of revealed them in groups. Uh, Had a really great response. Uh, It's something me and James Cridland organise as a side project that is becoming somewhat all-encompassing. And so we announced um, uh, Anya Grinman, who is the director of music for NPR, coming over from the States. Um, Matt Cook from Google, David Lloyd from Orion, Anthony Abbott from Bauer. Um, We've already got people like uh, James Rear from LBC, your boss, your other boss. Yeah, I'm Uh, I'm tactfully avoiding that particular uh, speech. uh, And also um, uh, Kate Cock from Q103. So it's like a really good cross-industry thing. If you want more info, just search Next Radio Conference. Joining us also in the studio is Liz Howell, Director of Broadcasting at City University London and former Broadcasting Executive. And Liz, you do a lot of work around diversity as well. I'm really interested in the coming up programme that you've got with with talking about the Lenny Henry initiative and what he's been saying and so on, because I'm putting together, and interestingly, we're also talking about events. This is for the, I'm putting together something for the Guardian Edinburgh Television Festival. And that's a a diversity watch where we're going to, students are going to take on a programme of of watching primetime television and actually trying to measure the number of uh, black and ethnic minority people that are on those programmes. It's a really tricky one. It's going to be quite exciting to do, probably very controversial. Uh, And joining us down the line is Roy Greenslade for the first part of the show. Roy is Professor of Journalism, uh, also at City University London, and he writes for The Guardian and Evening Standard, and is a former editor of The Mirror. Thanks for joining us, Roy. 
Yep, um, nice to speak to you. Well, we've got a packed programme, but it's, I think, fairly clear what the first story should be and very much why you're here, Roy. It can only be, of course, the hacking trial. And the former News of the World editor, Andy Coulson, has been found guilty of a conspiracy to hack phones. Or is it actually that the big story is that Rebecca Brooks and her partner, Charlie Brooks, were both found innocent? Well, I suppose that depends which paper you read uh, and arguably who owns it. Uh, So, Roy, plenty to unpick here, but let's start with Coulson. What do you think was the smoking gun that could convinced the jury he was guilty? Uh, Well, I think there was compelling evidence that from various members of staff that he did know that hacking took place and indeed uh, on one occasion actually used that winning phrase, do the phones. Now, he did try to explain that away, but I'm afraid the jury didn't buy that and I'm not surprised, to be honest. One feels a little bit sorry for him. He's going to be um, the person who, uh, the most senior person who's going to take a lot of the flack for this. He will, I imagine, faces a jail sentence. I think it's important to see this in the context of the six people who uh, are facing jail sentences. Uh, Neville Thurlbeck and James Weatherup uh, and Andy Coulson himself, Glenn Mulcair, the private investigator, uh, Dan Evans, and Greg Miskew. I mean, that's that's a, a lot of journalists. Indeed, it's unprecedented here and anywhere that we can see that journalists are about to face jail anyway for the possibility of, I think, having hacked phones. It's it's a unique situation and shouldn't be overlooked. Of course, there are many trials to come, something like 19 trials after this. But I think the concentration of some newspapers on this having been a waste of money is completely beside the point. For a start, I see the figures suggest it was 110 million. That involved the defence funds, which the taxpayer won't fund, um, and it amounts probably in the public purse to about 33 to 35 million. Still expensive, but you know justice does cost a lot nowadays. And Rebecca Brooks being found not guilty. I mean, that obviously is what the Sun focused on in their coverage. Slightly disappointingly, I have to say, the Times also, I think, focusing on that. But what's next for her? Do you you think actually she can, you know, make a career back in the media after this experience? Well, she said in her first public statement today, my innocence means that I am vindicated. So uh, she could make a a comeback. She could rejoin Rupert Murdoch's organisation. He has been on side with her since the beginning of this drama. It's known that he still favours her. So there's no reason why she couldn't make a comeback within the company. She has skills which I think were well illustrated in court when she was being questioned over a 13-day period. I remember her appearances in front of the Commons uh, Select Committee in which she had uh, judged herself pretty well, I think. Look, this is is a woman who's 46 years old. There's no stain on her character and so there's no reason why she couldn't join another firm or work for the same one. I mean, Matt, everyone is claiming victory in this scenario, but uh, despite an upcoming interview with the police, Rupert Murdoch himself seems to have risen above this now, even if his organisation is forever going to be tainted by what's happened. I think there's always some, there's always a large amount of plausible deniability as you as you go up the top. I mean, you could say in some ways around Rebecca, when you look at some of the reports, uh, she was too busy to be associated with the day-to-day operations of her newspaper. Uh, I think there was an interesting thing from from Nick Davis talking about the amount of lawyers that News International had, uh, and actually the CPS 
missed a trick somewhat by being relatively underfunded with an admin and a lawyer uh, when faced with some of the most successful and clever lawyers in the country. And when you take on any large organisation, is the CPS best positioned to be able to do that? I think one of the bizarrest things was uh, today, on the day of recording, Thursday, the headline of The Sun, I don't know if you've seen it, Roy, says something like, here's a real scandal, with the word real in bold. Uh, And it's the story to do with Wonga. And the implication there is that what happened, uh, albeit at the News of the World, not The Sun, isn't a real scandal. I kind of think, you know, do The Sun really treat their readers with that much contempt that they think their readers don't realise that what happened at the News of the World hacking the phones of the families of the victims of murder. Roy, what do you make of the way that News UK's tabloids have dealt with all of this? Well, within the context of The Sun, it's pretty unsurprising. The previous day was quite triumphalist, their front page. A good day for red tops, uh, making a joke about themselves, plus uh, Rebecca's uh, red hair. And today is, is, is the same again. I think the truth is that they believe that in some way they can suggest to the public that this is not as big a deal as it really is. And indeed, the Times, I think, have underplayed this story too. Uh, I think next week it will all change. When these six are sentenced, there is no way of the sun masquerading in that case. That will be a significant moment when six people connected to News International, now, now called News UK, in an attempt to clean it up, that will be something which will reverberate. And then, of course, as I say, there are more trials to come. Rupert Murdoch's going to be interviewed himself, we understand. And uh, it's a very, very significant story in The Independent about the fact that it now is clear Uh, that the police have been trying to uh, get a sort of corporate charge for corporate malfeasance. And that would echo also in the United States for Rupert Murdoch. So there's a way for this to go yet, and a bit of sun fun is not going to cover that up. Well, of course, a a rival organisation, if you can call them that, who certainly don't want it to be covered up, is, is Hacked Off, who stepped up their campaign on Wednesday for independent press regulation. Uh, In a statement, they said, far from being an isolated incident involving a few bad apples, the trial has shown that the entire orchard was rotten. Uh, Liz, you've spoken before about run-ins with the press. Uh, With this first wave of trials coming to a close now, what would would you like to see happen? Well, I I feel really conflicted about this because in many ways I'm I'm pleased for Rebecca Brooks because I think that she was demonised and I think there was a gender element in that. And I'm glad that that she has... um, been proved innocent. However, I think that it is a rotten orchard. I think there's an awful lot going on that we perhaps even now don't know about. My personal view is that this sort of behaviour at sort of freelance and reporter level probably permeated most of the papers. And we've got to see that this has got to be carried through and that justice has got to be done and these people have got to be to be punished. I think picking on the Murdoch press actually is also wrong. Obviously, they were very implicated, but other press must have been implicated because they use the same sort of freelancers and they use the same sort of people on the on, collecting news for, for at the bottom level of their, their news gathering operation. So, I mean, it, it's a really complicated one. I mean, 
on one level, of course, you've got this issue of press freedom and it's terribly emotive and people talk about, you know, the acts of 16 this and 17 that and how important it is to have press freedom. On the other hand, if like me, you have been targeted by the press and they have been hanging around your, around your home and trying to get you on anything and, and really treated you like dirt, it, it, you must speak as you find. And that's an extraordinarily unpleasant experience. And I got through it in my particular case. It was a long time ago. It doesn't really matter now. But for people who've had their lives ruined, it's very, very important. Yes, one would hope that the press can control themselves, but I'm not entirely sure. And so I really don't know what the answer is. Um, I'm so glad that this has all been brought to court. I'm so glad that, that people have been indicted and found guilty. At the same time, I don't think they're the only ones. And I feel, in a sense, sorry for them because there's lots of people who are at it. And Millie Dowler's family coming out, weren't they, as well, to make the point that, you know, Leveson still hasn't really been implemented, not in the spirit it was meant. What is going to happen? I mean, I think in a way this intellectual argument about press freedom, which is trotted out by all sorts of very decent people, clouds the issue, which is that the press have behaved appallingly. And what are we going to do about it? The Royal Charter, I don't think, is a a goer. And look at the confusion that causes with the BBC. But on the other hand, something should happen, surely. And I, I personally, from my own experience, would not trust them to put their own house in order. And Roy, just quickly on the legal side, we've seen David Cameron scolded by Mr Justice Saunders for speaking out before all the verdicts had been reached. Uh, We've got more hacking cases yet to reach the courts, of course. How difficult is it to speak openly about what needs to change with those kinds of restrictions in place? Well, actually, the odd thing is that the Guardian lawyers had warned us to be extremely careful. Uh, Perhaps they should have rung 10 Downing Street. Because the truth is... Uh, that he did jump the gun. He did this in the Nigella Lawson case as well. And he does seem to feed the beast, the 24-hour cycle beast. Uh, and he made a terrible error here. The judge has really criticised him for it. Roy, and you can think- I just ask you a question as an expert on this? Um, did he break the subjudice rule? Technically, he did. Uh, because he, uh, the two people, Mr Coulson and um, Mr Goodman, Uh, the jury was still out deciding on one specific charge, which they eventually, as you know, didn't reach a decision on. So he did break the subjudice rule and he was, therefore, in contempt of court. So why didn't the judge stop the case? Well, I think the judge thought that after uh, eight months uh, that he would allow the jury to make a decision, which they didn't make in the end, but it would have been interesting if they had gone one way or the other about whether or not there'd been prejudice from Cameron's statement. On the other hand, it wasn't a sequestered jury, but it is possible that none of the jurors actually knew what the Prime Minister had said, just remotely possible. Just remotely possible, but isn't it interesting, Roy, because in the end what seems to have happened is that actually Cameron's got away with it. It's a technicality and he's been successful. He managed to get his point across really quickly and the the jury and the, the trial goes on. Yes, but it has sort of rebounded on him. Lots of headlines this morning, very critical of him for having spoken out too soon. And it does go to the whole subject of his judgment. So we have two cases here. Firstly, ill judgment in having hired uh, Andy Coulson in the first place, ill judgment in having kept him on when uh, when he went into government, and now ill judgment in speaking out so soon. Well, could you Personally, argue that it's actually very clever judgment in that he's, he's made his statement and got away with it at exactly the right moment? In a few days' time, it wouldn't have anything like the impact. Well, um, up to a point. I mean, I think the truth is, uh, Liz, this will make no difference 
to the election, uh, this won't be a subject which will come up whether or not the Prime Minister should or shouldn't have spoken and so on. I agree with you on that. In, in fairness, it does seem like you could accuse Ed Miliband of acting with equally ill judgment for coming out and accusing David Cameron of ill judgment at exactly the same time, which is why David Cameron has to make the statement. I would not at any stage like to accuse Ed Miliband of doing anything sensible, no. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, Roy, before we leave you, uh, let's briefly talk about the three Al Jazeera journalists in Egypt as well. Uh, Peter Gresti, Mohammed Fahmy and Baha Mohammed, uh, sentenced to between seven and ten years each for supposedly aiding the Muslim Brotherhood, who of course are outlawed now, despite flimsy, inaccurate evidence. I mean, like many journalists, Roy, you've been outraged by this. I have. But I mean, let's let's face it, there was no evidence of any kind. They were simply doing their job. They were located in a hotel where lots of other journalists were. All they were doing was seeking to obtain interviews and to try and uh, discover what uh, the Muslim Brotherhood were thinking and doing, which is what we do. But I think the problem is that they were acting on behalf of Al Jazeera. The government in Egypt regards Al Jazeera as a friend of the Muslim Brotherhood, and they have fallen foul of that because plenty of other journalists uh, who don't work for Al Jazeera have been doing that. So these three are really what I call hostages. They've been taken hostage uh, because of the belief that the Qatari-owned Al Jazeera is in some way motivated against the current Egyptian regime. So I'm really sorry for them. And by the way, let us not be taken in in equating this in any way with what's happened to the News of the World journalists. The hacking six must not be equated with the Al Jazeera three. Matt, when it comes to social media, there's been a lot of campaigning around this, though, hasn't there? Have you been impressed with the way that's been done, the black tape over the mouths and all of that kind of thing? I think having that BBC logo in the background, it does does make an impact. People around the world do trust it. So to manage to equate that and connect that together is a good thing. I think sometimes social media is used as an excuse to not do action, mm. You know, particularly you know, people holding up cards about things they want to change. Um, when the Prime Minister holds up the card and you're like, no, don't hold up the card, do what we say is on the card. Uh, you know, then maybe it's, um, it's sort of stuck in a, a self-perpetuating social loop. But it, it, it can do a thing of, of raising awareness. And what it does do is it tips it back onto the media agenda. The media are very connected into social media if maybe the real public aren't as much. Uh, and, then, and then it gets to be broadcast. I think what is so interesting is what Roy said about it being journalists from Al Jazeera. And what we're seeing here is is one of the many conflicts within the Muslim world, which is played out on a a broader stage. And in in a way, we've got the same sort of thing with ISIS going through to to Baghdad. We've got this this huge problem between Muslims falling out amongst themselves and the difference with the view of the Egyptian government and the um, Muslim Brotherhood and the Qataris who they feel support it. This is absolutely key. We need to know more about the rifts and the changes within that religion and within the Middle East only that way will we understand it. I absolutely agree with with Roy. This is about Al Jazeera. It's not about the three people. Matt, talking about social media, um, ISIS have been playing a blinder with Twitter. They've made uh, an Android app available to their supporters, which you log in with your Twitter credentials, and then it retweets ISIS messages on your behalf. Wow. Uh, which, um, uh, which I think for most media companies, I think, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe, yeah, when we we can, uh, maybe we can use that. So Android being an open system, Twitter being very pro-speech out of all of the social networks they've managed to combine the two to to some degree of of success well no doubt a story we'll be coming back to again very soon Uh, in the meantime roy thank you ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Very much for joining us. While Matt and Liz are still with me, let's look at some of the other stories of the week. And Liz, Lenny Henry is back in the news after he criticised the BBC Director-General Tony Hall's plans to increase diversity at the corporation. What's going on here? It's really interesting, isn't it? I love the expression, what was it, initiative fatigue. It's the same with anything that you try to run, any campaign you try to do. You try to get things started and they sort of wither on the vine. And I can see exactly where Lenny Henry's coming from. There's been so many things in the past about diversity. As I said earlier, at City University, we're actually undertaking a project to measure how many black and ethnic minority people you can see on television between 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock every night on the mainstream channels. It's going to be really tough to do because we're going to have to measure how people look and that's in itself very tricky but this is not a DNS test about racial background it's trying to see how you as a viewer are represented on the screen so what sort of racial groups you see on the screen in different programs I'm not going to say when we're going to do it just in case it changes anybody's idea of what they put on screen but we're going to take a couple of days over the summer and get some really robust data about this and maybe Lenny Henry thinks that's a waste of time too but I don't think it is because when you've got the figures and the facts you can really start to make a difference with the expert women campaign lots of people thought oh god you know post-feminist who cares just go and be a pole dancer that's your freedom now but actually when you count how low the number of expert women are on the news and current affairs programmes and put that to the broadcasters, they really do have to respond. But the thing about expert women is you are categorising their job, they're experts, that's their role in the programme. The problem with just counting black and ethnic minority faces on TV without contextualising them, I guess, is... You said we weren't going to contextualise it. The students have got a spreadsheet like you wouldn't believe. Good, because because in the past people have just, because I know because I used to work as a researcher at ITV and after an episode of This Morning, I had to write down how many black and ethnic 
ethnic minority people were on the show. Well, and sometimes it would be quite start. impressive. Yeah, but if they're backing singers to Charlotte Church, it's not the same as presenting the show, is it? It's so interesting you should say that because I did a, a, a snapshot day just to look and I picked December the 9th last year and I thought, this is amazing, so many black... And it was the day Nelson Mandela died. So, you know, <laughs> oh, whoa, what a mistake. So you've really got to be careful about the context and you've got to be quite brave about what you do as well. You've got to say, I believe that this is an ethnic minority person. That's how it looks to me as a viewer. Maybe wrong, mm. but err on that side and we'll see and we'll see what roles they play. And Matt, some people criticise these kind of training schemes because... They say they can kind of train the diversity out of you. You end up with people who are all the same. All the researchers and runners are just like everyone else and they're not bringing anything distinctive. Um, How do you professionalise people without sapping their creativity away? Well, I think sometimes there's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, we mentioned this, this conference me and James were organising. So uh, we want a balance of, me- of men and women on stage. And that's, that's our aim. Uh, but one of the ways we pick people is we go to other radio conferences and, and we see great sessions. We go, oh, they'd be excellent. And they will do a great turn, but uh, most of those are male. And so you do find yourself sort of falling into this trap. I think there is also a uh, – and that kind of replicates itself and therefore the thing continues. I think from people working in the media sector, there is a whole bit about who gets to work in media. And you're going to have to work six to 12 months potentially for free you know what there's only a certain type of people who can actually afford to do that and they tend to be people who are well supported by uh, by family and a family who support the idea of you going into media uh, and if you come from a, a non a non-media connected family that's quite odd to to a lot of folk and i think people who are listening uh, can probably recognize that and so there are a lot of barriers for non-white middle class or upper middle class people going into going into the media because they're the ones who can afford to and, get and into it. And often the women are, are not confident. It's really tough to get in there and be the first woman on a panel or to feel that you're representing the whole of your gender. It's just too scary. And so there's a, a confidence thing at the other end. And some of the research I've done has shown that you've got two sort of syndromes going on. You've got the sort of I don't want to be pushy thing, which really is a problem with women. Oh, don't, mm. no, little me, I don't want to be pushy. And then you've also got women who act a bit like princesses. Oh, woo me, woo me. You know, you've got to persuade me to do it. And it's very complicated what's going on. So we're asking society to make a very big change. And the problem with media is it's actually very conventional when it comes down to it. It goes for what it knows. That's the mm. tragedy of our industry. Well, this thing, you're time. actually asking someone to book someone else instead of the person that, that they, they like, really who they might not be using because they're ingrained and sexist. They might be using because they've used them before and they know they're good. And you've got to say, try That's someone right. else. And guess what? You've got to take a risk. And yeah. they may, might be terrible, like the terrible interview on Newsnight with Chloe Smith. Yes. And actually, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. We've got to accept that not everyone is born able to be a fabulous media person. And those people that you think are so great are often like that because of their background. So you've almost got to ask the viewer to be more generous. And that's hard as well. Well, you've moved us uh, seamlessly, Liz, onto our next subject, which is women. Uh, And uh, Jay Hunt, who, uh, hallowed be her name, is, of course, Channel 4's chief creative officer. She spoke out about the number of women leaving in the TV sector. According to broadcast, she told an under-30s networking event this week, one of the things I find devastating is the number of women your age leaving the industry and how many people think I can't make it work. I would encourage all women in the room particularly, please don't give up. Um, Liz, as you've said, you're conducting research into gender bias in the UK media. What do you think about this issue of 
women actually leaving the media once they get a foothold in it. Well, I think that really is quite common. And what happens is that you, you have short-term contracts and you have a situation where people feel I can't possibly have a family and do this. And the interesting thing is you can. It's really great. You can have a family and you can be, say, a news reporter and you can do it. Lots of the stuff Nick Robinson does. He could be home for tea. You know, he's only standing in front of number 10 Dining Street. He's not in the Swap Valley. We've got to get real about this. But there is this perception that you can't be a reporter and also have a family and it's quite quite wrong. The other interesting thing and it's quite a complex statistic is that if you just took all the women that don't have children then you could have a much much higher ratio of women reporters so the idea that it's the children that's stopping the numbers is ridiculous of course you can have a family and be a reporter as well but if you just took childless women you could have loads loads more of them. There is an enormous prejudice. It's just prejudice against women. You know some of it I'm sure does come top down from the executives and they have that prejudice but also I know women who worked in TV went off to have children and have either tried doing a job and thought this is too draining when I've got a kid to look after and or actually decide they don't want to go back to it I'm not arguing against that and that's where the Jay Hunts of this world come in why don't they make it easier for women instead of just moaning about it do something if you had a crash system or a shift system that worked or you had a different ethos you could do it 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 is a bit like what you were saying about David Cameron putting up a sign he should be actually acting on it They, they can make it happen themselves by making it better and easier for women it just it's everyone goes on about how terribly tough the media is actually you know compared to having seven kids in a council house in the 1930s in liverpool like my grandparents or going down the pit or being a docker working in the media is great you know it's really something that can be done and it can be done by both genders just let's get over it and get the women back in which makes sense at channel four makes sense at the bbc makes sense at sky but matt you employ people we've got lots of indies now that contribute to all of those places and it's harder for someone like you, isn't it, to provide a job share role or a crèche, for goodness sake? It, actually, I think we can be more flexible because we're a smaller organisation and we have a part-time, someone who works for us who works part-time and we work that around childcare and we've worked out what's important and where the gaps are and sort of backfilled that. And to us, it means we get someone who's very skilled in that role and we would rather have her continue to work and be flexible than to go through the rigmarole of employing someone new. I think there's another thing about um, people in their th- uh, late 20s, early 30s giving up on media because it's very badly paid. And I think uh, you could argue that if you're a woman who at some point wants to have children, maybe you decide earlier on that this isn't something that I'm going to be able to make a decent salary with and I'm going to mm. get out early. Whereas if you're a guy, you can maybe survive a bit, a bit longer. longer yeah. um, but I've got lots of friends who uh, are late 20s, early 30s who are going, I'm doing all right here, but I'm looking at my mates with proper jobs, uh, earning proper money. I and maybe that goes and across they... genders. I think yeah. there's a lot of blokes suddenly get to 30 and think, oh, I'd rather be a lawyer, actually, and make a lot more money. Yes. And so there, there is a bleed out of, of media anyway. But You've does it happen... really keep going. Does it happen earlier with women, maybe? I don't know. I think it could or it couldn't. I think women are less well-supported. Mm. What I like about what you're saying, and I absolutely agree with this, is when you've got a small country company, you know the people. You actually know Kirsty or Helen or whatever, whereas when you've got a big company, they're just a, a commodity. And so you're going to stick out for the woman that you really know, you really like, who's really doing a good job, and you're going to try and make it work for her. And just on Fun Kids, as children's radio station that we run, I get probably 10%... Uh, of my demos that I get sent are from uh, women uh, and 90% are from men. Uh, and I think that's sort of fascinating. 
a lot of our young presenters are sort of fresh out of university and student radio, so it's not like they've realised they can't get on in, in, in the world. These are the first sort of ones they send out. And uh, as a sector, is that because they didn't hear w- uh, women on the radio? Is it because actually it's not a job that's interesting? I would sooner have more women on the station. Than you I know, do. the real truth is that there's a lot of prejudice against women in radio at every level. I don't know why this is, but there's a lot of men in radio who come from that sort of male-dominated banter, all guys together sort of ethos, and that keeps women out. But, this is, but this is before we've almost got to that stage. These are people they who... listen to the radio, Matt. No, 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 no I, I'm not saying that they don't listen and think this is there isn't a place for me but you would still assume it would be hey, come more on, if you people listen who want to go into radio okay I've... for more of this do uh, check out my colleague helen zaltzman's excellent monthly podcast sound women which discusses these issues in depth every single month uh, and moving from radio to telly uh, and wanted to touch on this rising star launching in the US on Sunday night, uh, and basically everyone said it was shit. Uh, Variety said it was, The Hollywood Reporter said it was, Entertainment Weekly called it a clever voting gimmick turned into a train wreck. Uh, now this is a problem for us because there are not one but two versions of this show in some form coming to the UK soon. Uh, Matt, what did you make of the reaction to this, and is the talent show actually over? Is that really what's happening here? Well, you can just imagine that back at talent show headquarters <laughs> they're going, right, so the options are we've got chairs that may <laughs> may not turn around uh, we've got phone voting of some sort we've got facebook we've got apps we've got nice judges nasty judges we've got open votes we've got closed votes we're going to mix two or three of those and maybe we'll strike gold and i think maybe we've, we've the materials have, have somewhat run dry and there is no combination uh, to keep uh, that thing interesting maybe there is no talent left everyone's <laughs> been on one of these I don't shows know about the talent i just couldn't understand the voting system at all there's a wall and 70 percent of the votes got on the wall and then they're on the other side of the wall and then the judges didn't seem to know what the voting system was and nobody knew what they were supposed to do and i just you know i thought well i need a phd to understand what this is about so actually if you were itv or channel four and you're about to do a show based on this what would you learn from the experience in the u.s well what can you tweak it's too complicated isn't it don't you think that's what it's about i mean in the end it's really like huey green you probably don't remember all of this stuff but you know he used to do all these opportunity knocks you know when i was a kid and in the end it's people going on very nervous either going to make a fool of themselves or being great and you're going to like them or you're not going to like them it's really really simple and i think all the gadgetry's really got in the way yeah, but of course the problem is if you take the gadgetry away, I then it is the X factor, isn't it? That's the problem. That? I mean, what, what is new about Rising Star? I couldn't get what it was other than this funny wall. Have I got that right? Some sort of wall? What is that the only thing they've got to offer? A wall? We got rid of that in Berlin. Bring on the wall. Let's let's have uh, Hole in the Wall meets Rising Star. What I thought was interesting was it reminded me of Black Mirror, mm. uh, episode of Black Mirror where there <laughs> the, the voters at home. Maybe actually it's all a Charlie Brooker scheme uh, and actually him and Connie Hook get 10% of the money. In fairness, though, Matt, one of the things that was impressive about Rising Star's debut in the US is technologically there didn't seem to be a glitch. Their networks coped with the fact that millions of people simultaneously are being asked to download an app and vote. Uh, is that going to happen in the UK? Well, well hang on, that's not right, is it? Because the East Coast and the West Coast are out of sync. Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole ridiculous yeah. thing, isn't it? That's why that format should never have gone to the US in the first place. But we won't have that issue. But we might have an issue, might we not, with our mobile networks. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think the networks will be OK. I think it's... I can't get a signal in my house. I mean, how is this going to work? <laughs> it's, off, it's often the middle where that sits in between. So you can you can cope with the inputs, uh, but can your computer crunch them all 
get it on screen, turn it around quickly enough. And there's something like a million pound drop, a uh, very technological quiz show. Mm. They, and I think what's interesting, that's a really simple idea. And they use the technology to enhance it. So Davina can, uh, as being a good live presenter, can bring in information she sees, saying, oh, people at home are doing this, um, or, this is, or this is going on, or hey, to Chris Moyles, who's just mm. tweeted, or whatever the thing might be. And it's not driven by the tech, it's driven by concepts. Yeah. And I think that's the same with, with all systems. You know, radio stations, postcards, phone calls, text messages, uh, Twitter, Skype. It's the same it's idea. The same, yeah. It's just done in a slightly different way. At some point, there's going to be so much feedback that people will forget to do content in the first place. You just have people interacting about... Google boxes, isn't it, really? I know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes if I get the date wrong when I'm on LBC, we get more calls about that than anything yeah. else. Keep it as simple as possible. What day is it? Call this number. People love that. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> right, time for the moment you've all been waiting for. It is this week's Media Quiz. Uh, and uh, observant listeners will have uh, noticed that uh, we change format slightly each week, hoping that one week we're going to get picked up by we Channel 4 ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this week's format is the clickbait challenge. I'm going to give both of you a headline in the style of news sites such as Upworthy or Mail Online, and you have to decipher what the story is from my sensationalist clickbait headline. Uh, imagine a picture of a bikini-clad bum whilst I'm giving the headline, and you get the idea. Uh, as always, you buzz in uh, when you think you know the answer, and the best of three winner gets a cream egg. Okay, headline one. For years, they counted all the best-selling singles of the week. But what happened next uh, will blow 40. your mind. Matt. You're both right, but let's, let's all calm down and one of you patiently deliver the answer, Matt. I want that cream egg. This week, um, or, or coming soon, um, uh, streaming is going to be included in the top 40. Uh, so from uh, Spotify and Napster and RDO, uh, streaming data will be in there, which will mean that um, some artists that are sort of maybe album artists historically mm. uh, may find themselves in the singles chart. Except the waiting's not the same, is it? As, quite rightly, as buying a song in mm. the store physically or digitally what is the way to, i think it's a hundred is it or is it a thousand plays um, but in either case i just think surely it should be more like about 25 plays that counts as a buy it seems God, like a, a thousand plays you can't be right it might be it might be a hundred i can't if you look at, if you look at spotify consumption there's a lot of spotify consumption yes. or youtube consumption so i do like the idea though, that if you go to a physical store that should maybe be worth five copies <laughs> yeah yeah exactly to buy a cd single <laughs> if you still can uh right uh here's your clickbait headline number two ever wanted to read liberal news and sky skydive at the same time this new gadget has the answer liz, liz. yes glasses google guardian very good <laughs> not, just, not just a clickbait headline but a twitter style response as well perhaps you'd like to elaborate for the listeners don't who don't can, understand i know and um, the guardian's going into uh, news via google glasses which i don't really know how they're going to do it but you get these glasses and the news sort of comes up on the side of the glasses or something it's all right i know people who work at google haven't got a clue yeah, how google glass works on. yeah and, and isn't this a terrible thing about if you're driving and you're doing this never mind skydiving you could probably have an accident how does it work well, if, if you're going to have an accident, what better way than to be reading Media Guardian as you go? <laughs> I can think of better ways. It's interesting. Continual partial attention. Uh, that's, I think, what, the, what Google Glass is. If you think of your updates on your phone, uh, that now being in the top left-hand corner of your view at all times. I think if, if, we all, if we're all wearing Google Glass in a couple of years' time, we'll sort of be paying attention to each other whilst reading oh, our emails, favouriting tweets and downloading podcasts. What are you talking about hell? It's a fun, terrifying Orwellian <laughs> vision of the future. I suppose people must have said that when they got wristwatches. He's going to be looking at his watch all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, well, headline number three, it's one all now, so th this really does come down to it. One of you is going to win the cream egg. Here goes. 
500 million reasons why the BBC should give up UK TV. Oh, and there's a lack of knowledge in the room. Uh, is it about license fee pairs and iPlayer? It's not, no, although no, you're not even close, actually. It is the story that US pay TV company Scripps has made a bid of £500 million for full control of the UK TV channels. Wow. So Gold, really? Dave and Watch, according Ooh, to Media so, Guardian. So UK Gold really is worth its weight in gold. Oh, oh. Uh, at which point uh, we're going to have to split the cream egg this week. Oh, Slightly no. disappointed we don't have a dead heat. But uh, hopefully you can come back one day and sort it out between you. Thank you very much, Liz Howell, Matt That's Deegan. Me. Yes. <laughs> Next week we'll be joined by Steve Ackerman from the content company Something Else and Lisa Campbell of the Edinburgh TV Festival. And this time I really promise. Uh, if you have any questions for them, get in touch via our Twitter at the Media Podcast. My name is Ollie Mann. The producer was Matt Hill. Two shows to go now, so keep pledging and thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.